We are right now in uh, session 12 of our series of studies through the book uh, of uh, Genesis uh, through the life of uh, Joseph. And uh, this evening we are going to look at the results of reconciliation. The results of reconciliation. We looked at last week of how repentance led to reconciliation and how Joseph had given a final test and they had in that sense of the term passed the test okay so in our last study in Genesis 45 verses 1 through to 15 we saw the wonderful story of Joseph's revelation to his brothers of who he really was he revealed his identity to them and then it ended that whole uh, section in verse 15, we saw about how they all huddled together and then uh, the brothers spent time with Joseph. Now, but in 45, we still had some more verses, isn't it? You know, there are still 13 verses left of that particular chapter. And in that, we are going to study this evening what were the benefits or the result of the reconciliation that took place between Joseph and his brothers. And even when we have been uh, uh, studying about this whole issue of reconciliation, we must also understand that this is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us in Jesus, that God has reconciled us to himself by dying on the cross for us, and as a result, giving us the privilege to call him our father. So let's briefly look at the process of reconciliation which we have studied so far and draw some parallels between what Joseph uh, did and what God has done for us in Jesus. <laughs> Number one, we learn that uh, it was Joseph, the offended party, who sought the reconciliation. You know, Joseph was the one who was offended because you know, the brothers had thrown him into the pit and then later on sold him to the Egyptians. So he was the offended party, but he is the one now who takes the first step to bring about you know, togetherness between them. And this is indeed a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not wait for us to improve. Jesus did not wait for us to take the first step. Jesus took the first step by dying on the cross for us to say, hey, let's be friends. Sin has broken that relationship. He, the offended party, took the first step to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled back to him. Secondly, we also uh, note that Joseph loved his brothers before they loved him, before they were grateful to him for what Joseph had done, you know, Joseph loved his brothers before they loved him. The first time itself, when, you know, they, uh, when Joseph saw them, there was definitely emotions that were flowing inside of him. And this is again a picture of what Jesus has done for us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 tells us we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. He has always taken the initiative. Even when we were still in sin, he took the initiative. And he continues to take the initiative in our lives to 
love us. Our responsibility then is to love him back in return. Thirdly, we also learn that Joseph knew them before they knew him. You know, they did not know that Joseph you know, was their brother, but Joseph knew it, isn't it? And the scripture tells us that Christ knew us even before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Even before we were born, Jesus knew us. You know, before we knew him, you know, he has always known us. Number four, Joseph forgave his brothers before they asked for forgiveness. You know, before they asked for forgiveness, they had repented. Okay, that is why they turned around and and uh, they are not, there's uh, not no specific words that says we are sorry, forgive us and uh, uh, for what we have done to you. There was guilt definitely in their hearts. You know. They were willing to take the punishment for what had happened. But if you notice, it was Joseph who took the initiative and says, hey, guys, come near to me. And then uh, they huddled together and then he revealed himself to them and says, you thought it for you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So as a result, he says, I don't have anything against you. Remember in the parable of the prodigal son, which illustrates the relationship that God has with his children. The prodigal saw that when he returned home, he did not have to you know, sort of uh, plead for forgiveness. He already, remember, had uh, uh, decided what he was going to say, you know, that I'm not worthy to be called even one of your uh, sons, let me be one of your servants, you know, and all that he had rehearsed. But he did not say any of that. Even before you know, he came anywhere close, the Bible tells us the father who saw him a long way off ran and hugged him and welcomed him home. And that's a beautiful picture of God really what he wants to do for us. It is we who uh, do not accept that gift of forgiveness. We have the guilt constantly before us. But God says, look here, you know, you just turn around. As soon as they turned back to Egypt, turned back to meet up with Joseph, the story was totally different. Even this evening, if you are still running away from God, God wants you to turn back to him. And he is standing there, waiting there with open arms to receive you. Fifthly, Joseph saved his brothers before even they were aware of that salvation. You remember last week we looked at how he has said, you know, Goshen is the place that I have prepared for you. I kept it reserved for you. He knew his brothers were going to come back. He knew that they were going, he wanted to look after them. And as a result, he had already prepared the place for Goshen, a very fertile land. Remember, you know, in the Nile uh, the area, Delta, you know, a very fertile area. Joseph has kept that area, if you were to say, reserved. And that's what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? He says that I have gone to prepare a place for you. He has reserved that place for you. Even before we are aware of it, even before we were aware of what God has prepared for us, the Bible tells us that you know, God has prepared the very best for us. The scripture tells us that I has not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man 
the things that God has prepared for those who love him. What God has prepared for those who love him. We are not aware, but God has the very, very best for us, just as Joseph had the best Goshen area for his brothers. And finally, number six, in a, we learn that Joseph called his brothers to himself while they would have preferred to run from him. You remember last week we looked at of the emotions that would have surged through the brothers when suddenly this big guy in Egypt suddenly bursts out crying, sobs bitterly. They wonder what's happening. And then he says, come close to me. And then when he says, I'm Joseph, you know, the feelings that would have gone into their minds and hearts. Definitely they would have said, hey, he's now going to get us. Let's run away. But no, he pleads with them and he calls them to come close. The scripture tells us very clearly in Romans chapter 3 and verse 11, there's none that seeketh after God. There's none that seeketh after God. No matter how much we try to be good, no matter how much we try to improve ourselves on our own, we just cannot do it. This is why Jesus came down, died for us on the cross, so that we could be reconciled back to him. So don't run away from God. Don't think you can become better. It is God by his grace and mercy, just as much as he prepared the place for you know, his brothers. He's also preparing a place for us. You know. If only we would be willing to run back to him, turn to him. So let's this evening look at what are the benefits, what are the results of reconciliation. Once we say yes to God, once we say yes to the grace of God, what happened to the brothers and what happens to us? <laughs> okay. So the results as seen in these verses can be summed up in one single word, and that single word will be renewal. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we are reconciled back to God, our lives are turned upside down. There's a whole new change that happens. What are some of the changes? Let's look at it one by one. Number one, there is a replenishing. There is a replenishing. There was famine. There was emptiness. Now there is plenty. There's a replenishing that takes place. If you notice, we see what Pharaoh tells you know, to, for jo to Jacob and his son. This is what we read from verse 16 onwards. He says, And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Jacob well and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say unto your brothers, This do, load your beasts, and go and get you into the land of Canaan. And the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt and ten asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. As a result, he had twenty donkeys loaded with the best goods of Egypt and sent back, okay, sent back. Plenty, plenty for their trip back to Canaan. Also, you find 
that Pharaoh sends carts or wagons on which Jacob and his sons would relocate back to Egypt. Now, this is the first use of the word wagon in scripture. Now, when we think of the word wagon, normally we will think of carts which are very rickety structures, but that's not the implication over here. This should be treated as the the best cars of that particular time. Maybe the Rolls Royces or the Mercedes Benzes or the Teslas or whatever, okay? So this would have been the best vehicles that Pharaoh has sent. In fact, one of the commentators captures it well when he writes that this was the cultural equivalent of landing a jumbo jet among a tribe of isolated savages. What would have been the feeling? Oh, it's such a big uh, 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 aircraft coming in. Uh, they would have just been astounded. And that is the imagery. As the, this caravan of carts come you know, from Egypt you know, into this you know, hometown of you know, Jacob, I'm sure all the surrounding neighbors would have you know, said, hey, this guy has definitely you know, been the object of you know, the king's favor. He's a very, very uh, lucky person, a very, very beneficial person. Here is a person who has so much, so much. And this is the imagery of what God wants to do for us, the results of reconciliation. Application number one, we were famished from living a life of sin, but God, by his grace, has convicted us and brought us to the point of feeling our hunger and has given to us the Holy Spirit who has filled us. There was emptiness. There was a famine. But once we said yes to God, what did God do? He took away that emptiness and has filled us. Filled us with what? Filled us with himself. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we read the fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and a, and a temperance. And a, he has filled us with himself. If we are filled with himself, do we need anything more? Not at all, isn't it? Not at all. Now, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the Bible tells us, all these things are also added to us. So God has replenished us so that we do not lack anything. But remember, the reconciliation has taken place you know, between Joseph and his brothers. Okay? Now, the reason why that reconciliation has taken place, again, is because Joseph is the one who has reached out to them. He has reached out to them. So similarly... When we think about what God has done for us, it is not because we were good, God said, okay, I will do, you know, give this to you. No, no. It is because of his grace that he has reached out to us and has saved us. And when we said yes to him, then he says, okay, all that belongs to me now belongs to you. I put my spirit inside of you. You now belong to me. You know? Isn't that such a beautiful picture? of how much God loves us, how much God loves us, that he has given himself to us. He has given his Holy Spirit to reside in us, and he has filled us with himself. Secondly, there is a, a relocation 
that takes place, a relocation that takes place. Verse 19, he says, Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, bring your father and come, and regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Okay? Regard not all these stuff, because the good of the land of Egypt is yours. There's going to be a, a relocation that is going to take place. You know? Earlier, if you notice, the earlier two trips, they brought enough you know, food from Egypt back home, and then they went back again. Now he's saying there's no longer going to be any shuttling that's going to take place. Now you're going to come and stay here. You're going to come and stay here. And that is what, again, Jesus speaks about in John chapter 14, when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, okay? And he says, in my father's house are many mansions. All those words are speaking about a permanent place that God is preparing for us. This earth is a temporary place, the permanent place that we are going to relocate to. Why? Do we deserve heaven? No, not at all. It is because of God's grace and favor upon us. And when we have said yes to us, he says, okay, I want you to be where I am. So he has put his Holy Spirit inside of us. And he also says, this is my heart's desire. I want you to be where I am. Okay. <laughs> so uh, a question here again, when you speak about another carts, where you know, Pharaoh has commanded that the carts be given to them. Now, some people would speak about why this command was there, because you know, it was specifically uh, noted over there that you know, no carts could be used for carrying grains back. Okay? If a guy came with one bag, you know, he got one bag of grain. So that if a person came with a cart you know, and loaded it with a hundred you know, uh, bags of grain, then it would not be sufficient. You know? So that was a rule to say that, hey, look here, you know, no carts are to be taken out. You know? So, but Pharaoh gave the command to say, hey, you take the cart out of the land of Egypt. For what? Okay. Not so that they could you know, pack it up and sell the grain back you know, over there. But no, so that their little ones, their wives, and Jacob could be brought back safely to Egypt. And this is how. Pharaoh has and Joseph has taken such a minute in a care of all the details for another relocation, as it were. Sometimes individuals have fears about what will happen to them after they die. But God has taken care and our pains. He has gone before us to prepare the way for us. And he also says, if I go, I will come again. He is not saying, okay, you know, you find your way back. He says, I will come back again and take you to be with me. And that is a concern that God has for us. Yes, there's a replenishing for us. There's also going to be a relocating for us. We are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And we get a taste of it here on earth, here on earth. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit. You know, here on earth, as soon as we say yes to God, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. He changes our lives inside out so that we begin to understand what living with God is all about. And that takes place you know, 
right here on earth. We don't have to uh, now wait till we die to find out whether we will go to heaven. Okay? If we have responded to God and said yes to his free gift of salvation, then once he puts the spirit of God inside of us, we know it inside. We see the spirit of God working in us and changing us. And that's a guarantee that we are on the road to heaven. Number three, that's going to be a refurnishing. That's going to be a refurnishing. Verse 20 tells us, regard not your stuff for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. They could come to their new home and leave all their baggage behind. And he says, don't waste your time packing all your belongings because everything you need is going to be there when you get to Egypt. Okay. In a, one of the translations says, do not let your eye pity your things. And in other words, don't sweat what you leave behind. Okay. Now, don't say, okay, I cannot carry this on my card. I cannot carry this in my card. I want to take so much. No, no, he says, leave everything behind. You know, just get yourself. That is what is really important. Application number three, leave your baggage of the old life as you step into the new. Yes to Jesus, but they still want the baggage of the old life. They still want this and this and this and this to be tagged on to their lives. And what happens then? It slows them down and it debars them from coming anywhere close to God. Remember the, the story of Lot's wife, you know, don't turn back, the angel said, you know, but what did Lot's wife do? Turned back, became a pillar of salt. God wants us, you know, to leave our baggage of the old life and step into the new. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, old things are passed away. Don't depend on your old, you know. Just take it off from your mind. And uh, don't you know, say, I want this and I want that. And then carry your old habits, your old problems alongside of you. No, no. You know, he wants you to leave the past behind. Fourthly, there's also going to be a, a re-clothing. Uh, re-clothing. In verse 22, we find that Joseph gave to each of his brothers a change of raiment, and he gave to Benjamin five changes of raiment and 300 pieces of silver. Now, two important uh, understandings from here. You know, This was a pattern. If they had to honor somebody, you know, they would honor them by giving them garments. In Revelation 3, 5, we say, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. So honoring a person you know, was you know, showed symbolically by giving them a garment. Okay? Or today's perspective, they may put a shawl to say, we honor you. That is the re-clothing here. Also, when they were invited for a wedding, okay, they would also be given a wedding garment so that they could wear that wedding garment and come. And this is the application. We have been clothed in a wedding garment and are now accepted because of Christ's righteousness. So we come for the wedding, you know, the bridegroom and the bride. The bride is the church. The bridegroom is Jesus. And we come with the clothing that he has given to us. What is the clothing? It is because of his blood that we have been washed clean. And as a result, when we come into God's presence, we don't come in our own righteousness, but we come in 
Christ's righteousness. He has given us this new clothing. We may look at our clothes and say they are dirty with sin. But when we say yes to Jesus, he covers us with his blood, with his new clothing, so that we are accepted in him. Fifth lesson that we learn, or the fifth situation here, is the reproving. In verse 24, if you notice, when Joseph sends them away, it says he sent his brethren away and they departed and he said to them, see that you fall not out by the way. Okay, fall not out. What does that mean? You know, the King James translation says, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Or the ESV says, do not quarrel along the way. Do not quarrel along the way. Okay. So as he has sending them with all these uh, provisions for the father to be brought back, he's also warning them, hey, guys, make sure that you do not you know, get into arguments and you know, don't quarrel along the way. You know, why would they quarrel? Maybe they would argue about who will take the blame in front of Jacob when he finds out what happened to Joseph 22 years before. They have been lying all along. Now they have to say, hey, it was not really the truth we lied. Who is going to say that? Maybe that is what they would have been arguing over. They could have argued over. Or they could have also argued, you know, why Benjamin got so much more, isn't it? So as a result, you know, Joseph, knowing his brothers, you know, says, hey, be careful. You know, I want you to come back, you know, make sure that you don't lose all these blessings by arguing and fighting along the way okay because definitely they would have to go back and tell their father jacob that is alive difficult things for them to do because for years they have kept it definitely hidden isn't it so application number five is don't dig up the past don't dig up the past don't quarrel don't bring up the past the past is forgiven and forgotten okay so that is a warning or that's the encouragement either way you take it that joseph is giving to his brothers yes they have to admit to their father that yes we have done the mistake we lied to you they will have to do that they will have to confess that but you know do not you know, sort of bring up the whole story and try to blame one another and as a result you know not be willing to go back home okay the past is past. You go first and tell your father that Joseph is alive, that you are lying all along. But on the way, don't keep fighting so that that uh, position of going back to your father and saying that you were wrong, you know, actually happens. You don't miss out on that because if you miss out on that, you are also going to miss out on the blessing. And number six is the retelling the retelling. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph. Okay, They had to retell. They do not say, we lied to you. Okay, They do not admit, you know, who lied where. Okay. But they bring this good news, and they bring this good news of reconciliation. 
to the father and say, hey, we have good news for you. Okay. The good news does definitely overtake the bad news. The good news is that you know, Joseph is alive. Okay. But did Jacob the father believe? Jacob the father believed. So no, Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. Okay. And then they had to retell it again. You know, first time says, no. Then they had to retell again. Hey, look here. In these first 15 verses of Genesis 45, this is what Joseph told us, all these words. He had to retell them again. Okay. The retelling of what had happened was so very, very important. Application number six, it is important to tell the gospel to others, but it is as important that we show the gospel by our lives. Okay. Joseph's brothers went and told the father Jacob about, hey, this is what is another truth. Okay. But Jacob did not really believe. And then the Bible tells us when he saw the goods, when he saw, you know, and all the wagons you know, laden and uh, the best wagons to get him back to Egypt. And you know, when he saw all this, that was enough evidence for him to say, hey, what you guys are telling is true. And then if you notice, finally, you know, the chapter ends when he says, I want to go and see Joseph. Okay, Joseph is alive. I want to go and see him. Then it was not important now what the wagons had, what did they have, all that was immaterial now. Now he himself wanted to go and see the truth for himself. Remember the Samaritan woman, you know, when Jesus met with her and she knew that this indeed was the Messiah. And she goes back to the village and tells the people, hey, look here, this is what, who I met. You know, this should be the Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? And brings all of them back to hear what Jesus had to say. And then the village then responds and says, you know, now we believe. Not because you said, but now we believe because we ourselves have heard and said. And that is the importance of reconciliation. When we ourselves have received the gift of salvation, there's a change in our lives. We have to tell it to others. We have to tell it to others. And they will also see that this is genuine if they see the change in us. That becomes as evidence. That becomes as proof that something has definitely happened in our lives. Then they too want to say, hey, not just I want to know more, I want to see it for myself. And they want to experience Jesus in a personal way. Finally, let's look at five hindrances that can keep us from experiencing these benefits. Okay, we looked at all these benefits, you know, but remember, there were some things that if it was done, would have prevented these benefits from coming around. Number one is quarreling quarreling. A quarreling on the way home was a danger that could have resulted in their never returning to experience all that Joseph had to give them, isn't it? You know, if they had just quarreled among themselves, they never got home. And when they got home, you know, they were so upset with one another, they didn't tell you know, Jacob anything and they remained there. They would have lost out all the benefits. How often? Quarreling between one another 
in the family, you know, in the family of God, in the physical family that God has placed us in, loses the benefits that God has given to us. The Bible says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, when, when you love one another. But if there's quarreling between one another, what happens? The world is not able to see, hey, these guys are really been reconciled. Here, these guys are really Christians. Here, these guys have really the Lord living in them. So quarreling can keep us from experiencing this benefit. Number two, guilt can also keep us. Guilt can also keep us from experiencing what God has provided for us. What if the brothers had decided, we can't tell Jacob, our dad, the truth about Joseph? What if they had not been willing to admit their sin? You know, what would have happened? The barrier would still have remained, isn't it? When we have wronged somebody, we feel guilty about it, then we don't want to see that person. If we see the other person coming one way, we want to go the other way. When we have sinned against God, we find it difficult to come and talk with him. Guilt can keep us from experiencing what God has provided for us. He says, I want you to draw near. But if there is sin and guilt, it prevents that from happening. Thirdly, doubt can keep us from experiencing the benefits. If you notice when Jacob's sons returned home and said, Joseph is alive, you know, Jacob didn't really believe it. What if, you know, Jacob had continued in doubt? What if Jacob had said, hey, you guys are only fooling me, you know, I don't want to go back, I'm happy over here. What if, you know, Jacob had continued to live in that doubt? They would not have experienced the blessing. For all those years, 22 years, Jacob had thought that Joseph is dead, isn't it? So his mind was filled with something that was wrong. For him to correct that and get onto the truth was definitely difficult. And Satan continues to use this uh, uh, method of doubt, isn't it, to stop people from experiencing God. You know, and I, he may come up with you know, different thoughts to say, hey, this is too good to be true. You mean to say you just have to believe in Jesus, accept you know, his gift of salvation, and that's it. I've been thinking or I've been you know, having my belief systems. You mean to say my belief systems were wrong? Jacob for 22 years thought that J Joseph was not alive. He was dead. That was his belief system. You mean to say that was wrong? All these doubts can stop us. But if we are willing to turn around and believe the truth that what God has said, then we are able to enjoy his benefits. Number four, difficulties can also hinder us from experiencing God's provision. Jacob is old. For him to pack up everything and move was not going to be an easy task. And change is never easy. Change is never easy. And if you know, we want to experience God's benefit, but we are not willing to give up our old, we think of the problems that we will have, the difficulties that we will have, if we take a stand for Christ, then we lose out the benefits. And finally, number, uh, number five is despair. Despair. You know, 
If you notice when jo Jacob sent his brothers the last time, he says, you know, you know, Joseph is gone, Simeon is gone, now, you know, Benjamin is also going to go. Now, that is the despair that he lived in. But in Genesis 45, verse 25, 27, it says, when he heard now that Joseph was alive, his heart revived, his heart revived. It means basically he had come to the very lowest ebb. His spirit was almost gone. And if he had persisted in that despair, he would have missed God's provision. You don't think that everything is gone. Some problems come into your life, but don't think in you know, the worst, you know, that God has forgotten you, that everything is against you. No, you can definitely choose to believe God. And this is what Jacob did. So let me finally close with that, how to experience God's provision. Number one, look to the evidence of God's faithfulness. What changed Jacob's despair into hope? Three things. First, he heard the eyewitness testimony of his sons. His sons told him firsthand, this is what you know, we saw, this is what we heard. Then he heard the words of Joseph. They retold what Joseph said. And finally, he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him. Maybe this evening, if you have doubts about God, doubts about who he is, doubts about what he can do, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence you know, of the testimony of individuals who are with Jesus and who have written down the scriptures for us. Okay, Look at what Jesus himself has done for us, the visible evidence of the fact that he is risen again. Okay that he is risen again. These are all evidence of God's faithfulness. Look back on how you know, merciful and how you know, good he has been to you. Look at these evidences of God's faithfulness. Okay? But more than all this, look to the Lord himself. You know, look to the Lord himself. All that Jacob wanted in life now was to go and see Joseph, to go and see Joseph. Once he knew that Joseph is now alive, all that he wanted was, I want to see my son Joseph. Okay, Other Lord whom we serve is a living, risen Savior. Even during these days, when we you know, think about his death, burial, and resurrection, we understand the evidence that is there before us, the open tomb that is there before us, the fact that the Lord has said, that he is who he is. He died, rose again, and he says he's going to come back again for us. He has provided for us here on earth, and he also says, I have provided for you in the life to come. What is restricting us? What are the hindrances that are coming in the way of we to enjoy his provisions in our lives? Ask yourself what it is, and make sure there are no hindrances but you will definitely experience what Matthew 6.33 says, you know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.